When we started to do the research, we knew that gin was our preferred drink um, as consumers. And we realized that with gin, we could use local botanicals and we could create a spirit that captured the flavors of our area, but also the stories and the myths and legends from the area. So we believe that gin was a great product for us because um, it was something we could showcase our area and kind of our, our talents. Today, I'm talking to Martin Murray who is the founder of Dunnett Bay Distillers. Martin, it's so lovely to meet you here on Zoom and to, to be able to talk to you about your distillery. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm delighted to, to talk about our distillery. And yeah, thank you very much for having us. Yeah, it's um, I've been, um, you know, talking to different people and, and I've just realized how connected uh, everybody is and, and also how um, how we find different forms of art you know that we we see art as maybe you know painting music dancing and so on but that uh, something like um what you are doing and is also a way it's not just a science but it's also an art yeah that's right you know there's a lot of care and attention that goes into uh, products at our scale and that's the same as other art forms there's a, a care attention and uh, the real um passion to make something beautiful yeah and also you there's there's so much involved in it as well and and it's also a taste isn't yeah. it you have to yeah. explore different tastes and so on so that's the senses that you really work with yeah that's right and um i mean th there's other things as well where um our business in the past has collaborated with local artists to create labels to match the expressions so that means that um, you can do it two ways. You can create the expression and then work with an artist to get a label to match the expression, or you can give the artist a bit more um, free reign. And then we try to tie in um, an addition to that label. So, for example, we had some lovely uh, coastal watercolours and we used that then to create a slightly salted gin. Um, so th there's that interaction. And then um, the other thing is we have a small... Um, tour space here and we're in the off season we convert that into an exhibition space so our first exhibition was inspired by gin so we had uh, paintings we had other things that were created from gin botanicals we had um, lots of different uh, interpretations of that um, remit and this year we are using our um, our grass vodka which is um infused using a local grass that was first found growing in this area to create a, a, an exhibition around that grass, around the botanist who found the grass. So it really opens um, lots of opportunities for artists to, to work with us and not be um, just restricted to one thing. And uh, we love that. We, we think it's great fun. You know, it's, it's a really nice close relationship to have. Yeah, and it's it sounds very creative because if you now said you're using the grass, um, do you also in since you've started the distillery, do you do you have this creative uh, ideas where you think okay, what's the next product going to be? How are we going to make it a story that it fits with our distillery? Yeah, that's right. I mean, it can come from different angles. So it could be that um, our tour uh, manager finds a story, a local story about a herb or um, a local myth. And then we try to think, okay, how can we interpret that myth into a product? Or it could come the other way. We could be out 
a walk along the cliffs or in the forest and see something that inspires us to create a product. Um, and then the third way is we have a gardener here who is always trying to grow different things or, and, you know, each season we may get a different um, botanical or a different fruit that we can use. So um, to give you an example, we've been trying to grow grapes in the north of Scotland, which is a bit of a challenge. Um, but our gardeners manage that in our geodome. And last year we got a really good harvest of grapes and we're, we're going to try and use those grapes to create a product um, so, you know, the, the inspiration for products come from being out and about, from different people mm -hmm. or from mess legends or even from, from literature. But now, exactly where are you based? I mean, where, if you, if you can describe it in the geography. <laughs> so, um, the, we are on the most northerly tip of Scotland. So um, we're very remote in a small county called Caithness. And we're in a village called Dunnet. Um, Dunnet's a really small village, maybe 300 people. It's wow. where we live. It, yeah, it's where we live. It's where my wife was born and brought up. And it's a really stunning area. From the distillery here, um, you can walk to the beach, you can walk to the forest, and you can do coastal trails along the cliffs. So I and love it. It's, it's, it's absolutely like mm -hmm. idyllic for us it's a really nice outdoors life but it is challenging you know we are um we do get kind of strong winds over winter we do get colder temperatures but then also we are kind of cut off from the cities where our nearest airport is really 115 miles away if we wanted to go to one of the more international airports we're about sort of 200 250 miles away so um we are quite um, isolated but you know that has its charms as well we, we quite like that too yeah so where did you grow up so i grew up um eight miles west of Dunnet in a town called thurzo so uh it's a, a town that is probably larger than it really should be it was inflated with population because of um, the nuclear test facility that was built, built here in the, I think it was in the 60s. Um, my granddad moved up here to to work as a mechanical engineer at that site. And that's what still is the main industry up here. We have a, a the old nuclear test facility has been decommissioned. So still employs a, a number of people and makes the two towns, there's own wick around about 9,000. Um, so I, I grew up there, but I moved away at 17 to gain work experience and um, did a year's placement and then went to university for five years and then after that I um, worked mainly in Aberdeen in Scotland and then a year in the south of France so um, moved about a bit but always wanted to come home and mm -hmm. the gin distillery allowed us to come home because um, our fragile area here at the moment young people move away they don't stay there's not that many opportunities apprenticeships and jobs are you know there's a handful of them each year and the reality is that most young people move away and um, within my family I have two brothers and two sisters they've moved away to London to Aberdeen to Timberness um, and it means it's hard so for us to be able to have a longer term plan to stay here we had to really create jobs for ourselves so building the distillery allowed us to do that and um the reality was when we, we set up the business in 2014, 
our goal was to create two jobs, one for me and one for my wife, Claire, and that would pay the bills and allow us to bring up our young family here in our home village. That's amazing that you that you thought of that and that you wanted to stay there because I mean this is the area that you know and that you where you grew up. Yeah, love that. But what what was the interest in in um, distilling then for you? Did you go and study that? Um, I studied chemical engineering, and in third year I got the chance to specialise. So that was back in the early 2000s. And at that time, there was no jobs in brewing or distilling, really. You know, there was no craft brewing in the UK, no craft distilling. So um, I had a student loan, and I decided to go into energy then because there was a lot of jobs, the industry was booming, and I knew that it could pay off my student loan. So um, I didn't get to do my brewing and distilling degree, but I rejoined that and did it distance learning um, later and um, started to home brew at home, started to make beers at home, started to play with other things like elderflower champagne, these kind of things, and learn how to make products. And then I thought, you know, I would like to try and do this um, on a bigger scale. You know, I believed I had the skills as an engineer and um, could operate a small still. So um, we took the gamble or took the plunge and went for it in 2014 and it was terrifying to be honest because yeah we kind of invested all of our savings and um kind of went with it and it was frightening you know we, we didn't have any experience in the industry we didn't have any contacts we didn't have any investment or any money from loans or things like that so we had to make it work and um i remember for the first two or three months we were constantly watching bank balance watching money going in money going out and um it was a real real stress but you know it, it was good you know it, um it was an exciting time as well you know it's stressful but very exciting too yeah i can imagine and it's not that you live in a big city where you think okay well we've got there there will be people popping in and out so you you really had to do your marketing also yeah and that's where we were fortunate claire was strong in that part of mm. the business so we have very complementary skills my love is engineering and i love kind of the equipment side and making things yeah. and claire was more design and marketing so mm. she did a great job in those early months she started to tell people about the brand nine months before it was even on the market and it built up a momentum and it built up an interest in her product and when we launched we sold out our first batch in four wow. hours and then the next batch went in 24 hours so really incredible you know to think that a small village could start shipping to uh, all over the UK overnight mm-hmm. and that was that was we were really lucky with that. Mm-hmm. But now starting from so you basically started from scratch you so you had to buy the equipment and you had to um, also decide beforehand what you're going to do so what was your first uh, was it a gin that you made yeah the business was always going to be gin and vodka was never in our business plan if i'm honest um when we started to do the research we knew that gin was our preferred drink um, as consumers and we realized that with gin we could use local botanicals and we could create a spirit that captured the flavors of our area but also the stories and the myths and legends from Mm -hmm. the area 
So we believe that Gem was a great product for us because um, it was something we could showcase our area and kind of our, our talents. So we started with the gin. We worked with a local herbalist, a chap called Brian Lamb, and he would take me out on walks and we'd pick herbs. I would come back, I would distill them and taste them and then try to learn about their sort of their history or their, their background in Scotland. And I also worked with a local ranger, Mary Legg, who could tell me about, about the sustainability. So if we liked berries, how could we forage them sustainable uh, so that they were sustainable so we didn't have a negative impact on biodiversity? So um, we did that, went out, picked, distilled, tasted, learned over a period of a year, learned about local botanicals and then learned about gins and started to deconstruct other people's gins. So take their gin and try and work out how it was made. And that built us up a real knowledge on gin, on how, how it was made and how we could start building ours from uh, the ground up. So we started that, we started to experiment with juniper, then layer that with kind of earthy notes and citrus and spice and berries and mint and our other tones. And that was, you know, such a steep learning curve, but so fascinating to be out walks, picking things, learning about the ingredients and then finding out about stories that you didn't know existed in your local area. So, you know, when you, you're at school, you tend to find out about the history of Scotland, but not really that detail of, you know, there was a botanist in the early 1800s here who discovered everything that was growing in Caithness and knew where to pick things. You didn't hear about those stories. So for me, it was, it was, it was brilliant. You know, I got to learn more about our local area than I kind of learned in the previous 30 years. And it's it's amazing that you say that and, and that now people who also drink the gin or buy the gin will also now be aware of that and also be aware of the area that you live. Yeah, and that was important to us because we love this area and we want to tell people about that area. And we've been fortunate where um, after we started up, there was an initiative to create a driving route called the North Coast 500 to promote the area and by luck we built our distillery right on the north coast 500 wow. mm. and that, I mean, we went from tourists of i think we went from three thousand a year to now we're over thirty thousand a year so um we got a bit of luck along the way but um you know it's great it means that people now can come to our site they can do a tour with us a tasting and they can learn directly from our team about local stories local botanicals and also see things growing in our garden, which is which is great. Yeah, but now um, I, this is also something that I spoke to uh, another distiller in South Africa a while ago, and he was also saying that it has only been recently now that all these very much independent distilleries are popping up. Is there a great um, competition now in the market for you? Yeah, it depends on how you look at it. For me, um, if you look at like the big guys, the big gin distilleries, we are a, so insignificant to their sales. It's incredible. So I very much see it as two sides where you've got the bigger guys who are completely different from the craft guys. So I prefer to see us as a group, as a, a cooperative almost where we're all trying to promote each other's products and promote uh, an industry um, and 
hopefully take sales away from the big guys so that we can do that. So when, when we started, we were the third craft gin distillery in Scotland. And now there must be, I, can, I hate to quote the figure because I know it would be wrong already, but there will be over 50. You know, in our local area, we now have three gin distilleries and um, before there was none. Um, in Orkney, the islands across from us, there's three and before there was none. So there's, it's a, had a real big impact. But what is brilliant is that these have created jobs in very kind of oh, yeah. local areas, small villages, small towns. Um, and they've also created products that didn't exist before. So you've got new styles of gin and new flavours, new botanicals, things that weren't used before um, in your traditional gins. I think it's it's, it's, it's brilliant. And I, I, I very much I still see that mindset where I would rather like work together with the small distilleries and promote each other and um, see us as a group rather than trying to think of them actually as competition. Yeah, and, and also um, it, for the consumer, it's also a different awareness now because I think this this makes it interesting to now um, go and, and explore these different distilleries and the different gins that you can get. Because I think just on, in, in if you think of the wine industry, how people you know, go to wineries and they, they, there's this, this thing about it, you know, to, to discover these different wines and, and know about the, the wineries. And I think this will be happening with the distilleries as well, if it's not happening already. I think it is. I think you're absolutely right. Look, people are now learning of the impact of the distillery's location, the distillery's climate, and also what grows local um, specifically to that distillery. And you never got that before with the uh, big commercial gins. They told you the botanicals, but that was it. They didn't tell you why they used those botanicals, were they local yeah. to the distillery, um, and what impact climate had on those botanicals. So I think you're right. It's, it's mirroring what's happened, what's happened with wine. And people come for that. They will, they will come now and see, do like a gin distillery tour. So they'll try on the West Coast, a gin on the North Coast, a, a gin from the islands and try to understand why they're different and really get it a really nice close experience with the distillers where they hear it from the distillery direct. And, you know, that's, you know, that's, it's a great experience to be, um, speaking to the producers direct and visiting their uh, their sites. So how much um, experimenting do you still do? Because you must have experimented a lot when you started out. Yeah, we, we were, um, I think we were over 55 different gins we made and over 80 different botanicals and really? it never stops. So um, we have now a gardener that works with us and she does her research distilling. We have a graduate distiller and um, our master distiller who helps us out and we're always looking for new ideas. So this year our graduate distiller um, looked at our flavour profile and tried to identify somewhere that we and didn't have a flavour profile. So um, started to experiment with some of the citrus ingredients from our garden. So things like tangerine sage and lemon verbena but then also look at something a little bit different so we used a smoked tea so this year we were able to oh, make okay. a smoked citrus gin using tea and some of these citrus profiles from our garden along with things like 
or uh, organic orange peel that we we peeled here at the distillery. So we're still constantly experimenting. We're, we we play with aging the gin. We play with aging the vodka. We're trying to learn about different woods, um, different impacts on duration and maturation. And then again, looking at different botanicals that are in our gardens that we can make um, really small batches. So 100, 200 bottles um, from something that's grown um, in the garden. So yeah, constant experiment. And to be honest, that's the fun. If we continue to make the same product on a routine basis, it's great and it provides us with revenue that we need for a business. But in terms of motivation or excitement, I think the new experiments are always the bit that we all look forward to, especially the staff, because we get to taste some fun stuff. Yeah, it's um and but you're also talking about your garden. So you you grow all the botanicals yourself or, or the, the no we, we the, the kind of two constraints um our climate here we can't get all the botanicals with okay. too cold and too short a season mm. uh, and um, we don't have the area in our own site so mm. what we will do or what we do do is we grow ingredients that have strong flavors so things like tangerine sage pineapple sage mm. lemon verbena these are all and, and things like lemon thyme these are all botanicals that can grow in this climate that don't take up a lot of space but have really strong flavor profiles um, and we've got things like we've created a bog where we grow apple mint, water mint, strawberry mint, chocolate. Oh, okay. mm. So these flavours are really strong that you don't need a lot of. We can use in our seasonal additions. Um, so we do a seasonal addition of rock rose gin um, and we only do three batches, three, four batches of that per year. And that will be based on the harvest of the units that we get locally and then complemented with the juniper, juniper that we, we we buy in from Italy and Bulgaria. Mm. Um, but I love a lemon verbena. The that mm. it's such a it's such a wonderful. I mean, it's lemony, but it's soft, like a very soft lemon. Um, but now, what is your lemon verbena um, gin? What do you? So we use that in our summer edition, and we also use it in our citrus edition, citrus coastal edition. So. It's, you're right, it's a really light lemon. So when you compare it to lemon oil or lemon peel, uh, lemon peel can have a little bit of bitterness in it as well, but lemon peel, the oil is more, um, I would say, um, not as light. Well, then you go to lemon verbena and it's really light and um, just a different profile altogether. And yeah. that works really well in gin. Um, it makes it really refreshing. So I always think of lemon verbena as being almost like a lemon sherbet. Yeah, that's it's, it's almost like a sweet. It it has a sweet fragrance also as well. Yeah, and it's, yeah. it's lovely. We grow that in our geodome here, and it grows really well. We get a lot of lemon verbena. Oh, okay. But now you also talked about um, sustainability and about um, looking at uh, after the environment, and and uh, how you make the gin. Uh, is this also important for you? And, and is this something that you um, talk about when you, when you, you know, sell your gin? That is, is it something that, that the market wants to um, know about? No. Def definitely there's a growing interest in sustainability and also the practices on how a distillery operates. Uh, when we designed the business or designed the distillery in 2013, 
Um, my background as a chemical engineer, we, we, we'd already done work in sustainability at university. And I knew that it was key then to look at our impact on um, our raw materials that we source locally, on our energy use, and then on our waste and um, how, we, how we handle that. So from day one, our waste has been um, collected and then used as a soil conditioner to improve soil on fields near local crofts. Um, mm -hmm. We built a solar panel system in, I think it was year two. So we built a big solar panel system and our still is heated uh, with electricity. So we were on track to generate more solar um, from our system than we use, but as our sales have gone up, we've not been able to keep up. So we're going to add more solar panels and also add a battery system um, in the future, hopefully this year, but it's hard getting things at the moment. Um, hopefully add that and then that will allow us to create, generate more electricity from solar than we use in all of our production here. Um, and then again, with the raw materials, we went out and worked with a um, specialist in biodiversity. So Mary came out and showed us around different botanicals and told us how much we could take, how much we should leave for the birds and okay. where we could, where the sites we could get them from. Um, and then working closely with them, we also then sponsor biodiversity projects for the biodiversity group here where we um, have invested money, invested time and provided support so that we could uh, deliver projects with them. Um, and that's really important. And then adding on to that, we listen to our customers. Our customers love our bottles. They're beautifully designed and they wanted us to offer a refill service. So we looked at doing a refill pouch and we were the first company in the UK to do a fully recyclable free post return pouch for Jen. Really? That, that was incredible. You know, for mm -hmm. a distillery of our size and in the location that we are, to be the first in the UK to do that is a real uh, achievement for us. And we've won a lot of awards on the back of that. And our customers love it as well. So they asked for that service, we delivered it, and they now subscribe to the refill service so that um, the pouch goes to them, they refill the bottle and the pouch comes back to us. So it reduces a really energy intensive recycling process for the bottles. Wow, this is amazing because I think this is something that more companies should be doing, you know? Yeah, and I think... You, it's I think so easy, yeah. Mm. It, it's definitely a cultural thing. We, we know that in other cultures there's a bigger... Um, acceptance of refills and mm. a bigger momentum and I think it's just depending on where you are I think what we found is recycling reuse and refills are different in every country there's no consistent approach so we're seeing it taken off in other countries so when we did the refill pouches they were very much designed for the UK but because other countries love the idea, we've now shipped them to Singapore, to Australia, to Thailand, mm -hmm. to Germany. Mm -hmm. So there is that demand coming for these things. I think this is a wonderful idea, really. You know, I think I think with yeah. many more products, this should happen. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, no, yeah. It's a bit of a leap. I've thought of that yet, but but yeah, this is great. Yeah, and it, it's. It's been really well backed and we're really grateful that our, um, our, our, our fans, our followers 
yeah. told us about this, but also then embraced it and told other people. So it's been really good. And you know, it sometimes takes one person to do that to to you know to make that change, and then other companies will see it and um, and maybe do the same. So it's it's these little things. I think these little changes. I spoke to um, Henry Barnard from Gym and Tonic, and he also said, talked about the their distillery doing little things to do. Um, you know, making a difference, but it's 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 just doing these things. That is the thing, you know. That's just um, starting somewhere and doing it. Yeah, that's right. I think it can work two ways. You can either be the inspiration for other businesses, or you can be the um, the guilty conscience for other businesses if they don't <laughs> do it. So when we yeah. when the living wage. Uh, launched in Scotland I think we were the first distillery to sign up that every employee would be paid the living wage and when you tell people about that it means that they start to ask questions why other people don't do it so quickly other distilleries sign up and joined it because um, they want to demonstrate the same values as this is what we have and you know I mean, that, I mean it's, it's another great thing for us to say that you know every employee is paid the living wage and to be the first distillery in Scotland to do that or first or second it's still a brilliant um, thing. No, really, it's um, very admirable. But now, uh, Martin, tell me what's now next for you. So, what are you, <laughs> your, your new, your new um, uh, expansion to the business? Yeah, you can see over my shoulder here that there's plans on the wall. So, yeah, I've driven past a 200 year old mill now for about 25 years. Mm -hmm. um, Loved it and always thought it was such a shame that this building was falling in, going to basically end up as a ruin. And I always dreamed that, you know, I could do something, a hotel, do something, but that was always pie in the sky. And then as this business became more successful and I could start to see a future, I started to believe that we could do something with the mill. So we bought it in November 2020. And we now have built a warehouse on the site and we've permission to build a whiskey distillery on the site. And we are now starting to work to clean out the mill and then hopefully start to build it next year. It's terrifying. It's exciting. It's a challenge. And it ties back to this business really well, where the things we've learned and the th practices that we've or, or, or things that we've implemented, we will do there as well. So again, this will be an electric distillery powered by renewable energy. It'll be a whiskey distillery and we'll start to try and work with local farmers to use local barley that will come from the surrounding area. And we'll try and grow barley that was grown here um, 50 years ago, 60 years ago. So try and get some of these older styles of barley that will allow us to create a product that is um, another Caithness inspired product product amazing but whiskey is is a very um scottish thing isn't it yeah that's right you, you yeah. get different, different styles but i guess if you to think of the three things that scotland were as associated with whiskey would be number one oh wow. okay and now this um so this will be a separate you will run this separately from your uh distillery yeah. Yeah. yeah, a bit of an overlap because obviously we do some of the same activities here. So bottling, for example, um, marketing, sales, that sort of thing. It'll be the same team that will do both. 
but we'll have two sites. Um, and the great thing is, you know, the, the mill has such a history. We have 200 years of history to tell people about. And the great thing is um, we've always said that we were a local company and trying to improve the local area. And this investment completely demonstrates that. And we've had so much support from local people who, like myself, seen the mill going into a state of disrepair and dreamed of it being restored. Um, in fact, we're working or we're, we're, we we speak really closely with a lady who was born in the mill. So really? she's, yeah, and she's telling us all her stories from and sharing her family photos. Unbelievable. It's so great. And she told me about a month ago that every time she went past the mill, she looked the other way because she couldn't bear to look at it as it got worse and worse. But now that she's seen her plans, she looks at the mill and she smiles. And I thought that was just like Isn't the nicest, nicest thing I've heard yeah. life. Isn't that amazing? Oh, I love this. I love this idea. I love the story. And I think it's great that you didn't go out and, you know, just build a new building somewhere, but that you looked at that. And, and uh, so you're renovating also. Um, trying? Do you try? Are you trying to get it as back to its natural state as possible yeah absolutely idea mm. so we worked closely with historic environment scotland and the conservation planner at the local authority and we're trying to reinstate as many features as we can so they have things like uh, sack hoists we're going to re reinstate sack hoists so that people can see how they would have worked but then we're conscious that we have to and we're the guardians of the building for the future. So we have to put things in place that didn't exist back then. So things like rain pipes weren't mm -hmm. used. So there was no rain pipes. But if we don't put the rain pipes on, it means that the building will get damp and it will mean okay. it could deteriorate over time. So we have to make that decision that we want to put these rain pipes and guttering in place so that we can protect the fabric of the building. So we want to restore the building, but then we're conscious we have to protect and uh, look after the building. So it's a it's a balancing act, you know, it really is. Yeah, but I think this, it, isn't it amazing? And this product will be just so, the story about it would be so amazing. Yeah, we, yeah. We, we, we've not announced the name of the product yet, but the product will be inspired by the local mill. And mm. the, the interesting story about the mill is uh, the mill was only built to support the Caithness flagstone industry. So there was a quarry around maybe 500 metres away from the mill. And they used to quarry stone, big, hard, flat stone. And it used to be shipped from the pier all around the world um, as a product called Caithness Flagstone to support all the workers that built lived there. They, they built a mill to create food products. And that mill was built out of the same stone. So if we have this lovely story of being able to link that mill yeah. to the stone industry, to the harbour, and to tell that real uh, fascinating story of the flagstone industry. Well, if the flagstones could be exported at that time to all around the world, then that your whiskey will also be following yeah. the flagstones. <laughs> that's right. And that's, that's going to be great because, you know, there's flagstone in Singapore and New York where uh, hopefully our bottles will land one day and we can get a photo of those bottles on those flagstones. Yes. Yeah. Wouldn't that be amazing? Oh, I just love this story. This is going to be an amazing um 
product and and you know the story behind it. But now, um, and and whiskey uh, is that you you following the same procedure really as you do with uh, with other other distilled um, products? Yeah, we will we'll follow a fairly traditional whiskey process. Um, there won't be the same automation as new processes, but we want to retain that handcrafted ethos where our distillers are measuring by uh, their own senses. And we will have flexibility. So big whiskey distilleries tend to run the same production run every day of every week of every year. We will have flexibility. So we'll maybe do a different style of barley once a year. We'll use smaller barrels, we'll use different styles of barrels. We'll try and do things that um, we can do that big guys can't do. Um, And I think, you know, you've spoken to other distilleries and how they're able to do initiatives. And I think that's a great thing about smaller distilleries. They're able to come up with an idea and they're able to act upon it and implement it very, very quickly. And you do, big guys can't do that. They take years to make decisions and to make implementations. And um, that's one of our advantages. Yeah, I love this. Um, like you say, the, the distilleries I spoke to as well, each has their own um, style and their own story and their own specific thing that they do. And I think this is so wonderful. I think this is what people need uh, you know, to, to experience. Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah. I think there's definitely more of a movement as well to supporting local businesses where there's mm-hmm. a face attached to businesses um, exactly. and they know mm-hmm. that it supports jobs. So um, it's, re- it's really good. And I'm, I, I, I've never become a bigger shopper of local products than I am today where because we run a local business, we want to support other local businesses. So we'll partner with them to make products for our shop. But when I'm not working and it's not a work thing, I'll still look to buy local products because I know the impact it has on uh, those locally exactly. local livelihoods. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And, you know, it's it's time that we do that because it's these small independent businesses who, you know, where you get the real service and where you get the the attention, the the, the real products. And I think this is very important to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the, the diversity that you get with local producers in all exactly. aspects is, um, you know, if you walk in cities and go to the same shops, they're laid out the same way, they sell the same things and you get the same quality. Yeah. But by working with someone local in each of those areas, you find something that they only do or they use local exactly. materials that you can't get mm-hmm. elsewhere. So there's that real discovery and um, real link to the local area that, doesn't exist with these other other mm. jobs. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm going to say uh, my wish is that I one day want to come to your distillery. I want to come and see, and I want to come to the mill. Yeah, it's you have a fascinating to. Fascinating story. Yeah. The mill, the mill is located at the other end of the beach from this distillery. So when you yeah. get to the mill, it has a view right out over the beach, and it is incredible. Just I love, I love it, and. My house is at the other end of the beach, so one day when the mill's built, I'll be able to walk to my work along the beach, which oh. I don't think you can beat. Well, in the no. summer, anyway, in the summer, maybe not in the no. winter. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're probably so used to that weather, you will you will do it. You you you're brave enough to do it. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a saying up here that if the wind stopped, we'd all fall over because we're so used to it. <laughs> 
Well, I've never been to Scotland. So this is now my wish to come to Scotland. I'm coming to your your mill. When yeah. will it be done? Hopefully May 2024. Okay. So I have time. Yeah. Uh, you I can add a few months on just in case. Okay. <laughs> Martin, but it was now so lovely to talk to you. But I want to ask you now to do a shout out for um, one of the restaurants or coffee shops in that area of yours one of the independent ones so we we're fortunate we've got lots of lovely um restaurants in the area but i think one that's quite unique is uh, number one bistro um mckay's hotel so if you go to mckay's hotel and eat in uh, the restaurant you have the um luck of visiting scotland or the world's smallest street so really uh, it's on the world's smallest street. So you, you get to visit there and the food is absolutely fantastic. Really uh, traditional Scottish food. Okay. Do they have a website? Yeah. If you look at Mackay's Hotel, um, that would take you into their will, and restaurant. I will put their, their, the link of their um, of their website. I'll put that also in the description here. Yeah. And, and then, um, yeah. We know the owners are lovely. Uh, Ellie and Murray being great support for our business where really? we were new to business and they, they were able to support us on our journey. So, um, okay. lovely family run hotel and um, great food. Really, really fantastic food. Well, you can you can tell them that you did the shout out and I will put the link in the, in the description. Yeah, I will, yeah I'll, I'll let them know they'll be delighted. Okay. But Martin, thank you so much for your time. It was just so lovely to talk to you now. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on. It was great to tell our story yeah. and also to, to, to speak with you. Thanks very much. Yeah, and, and all the best with the mill. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and look okay. forward to showing you around someday. And I'll see you. I'll <laughs> see you definitely. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Martin. Thank you. Have Bye. a lovely day. Bye.